This is Audacity, storytelling with Letitia Barriola. In this podcast, you'll hear from creatives, entrepreneurs, industry leaders, and everyday people living with authenticity and going after their dreams, no matter what. I appreciate you for hanging in there with me. Hey, this is my sixth episode. Can you believe it? We are in this. Uh, Well, in this episode, the audacity of a grateful alcoholic. It's a little different. You know, I'm fascinated by people who are just open and truthful about not just the surface stuff, right? But the deep, dark side of who they are. I think it's because we live in a culture of shame and presenting our best selves to the world at all times. There are a lot of pretty images out there, but the bold and the audacious are showing us another side, a more human side of themselves. Brene Brown puts it this way, courage starts with showing up and letting ourselves be seen. The willingness to show up changes us and makes us a little braver each time. Only when we're brave enough to explore the darkness will we discover the infinite power of our light. That's powerful. So I want you to keep that in mind as you listen to my guest today, Tracy Collins, a.k.a. Tracy.com. With that, let me talk about her. You know, she spent years in the Navy. She was an award-winning broadcast journalist. And now she's an author and speaks around the country about alcohol awareness and education. She tells her story of hiding and then overcoming the powerful disease of alcoholism in such a real, raw, honest way. Uh, She's intentional about those details. You'll hear more on that soon. But I'm not going to go into her childhood too much. There's not really a beginning, middle, end with this story here. You know, I don't have a formula with this podcast. Everyone comes to me a little differently, right? So for this, I just want to get right to it, right in the thick of her mess. This is the audacity of a grateful alcoholic. At 10 years old, never having drank before, other than, you know, back then, I was, I was raised in the late 60s, early 70s, where you gave your kid a sip of beer, nobody cared. Um, but the first time I got drunk, I, like, when everybody else, everybody else at the slumber party, like, got a little giddy and quit, mm-hmm. I binged until I blacked out and threw up and mm-hmm. passed out very first time ever. And I learned later that that's because that's the way my brain metabolizes alcohol. It metabolizes alcohol different than the majority of um, people who use alcohol. Wow. And so my brain, once it gets a little bit of it, it treats it like it's crack, like mm-hmm. it can't get enough. And, um, but I didn't know that at the time. And you, you were how old? I'm, how are you supposed to know that? Yeah, exactly. So that was at 10. By the time I was a teenager, you know, I was partying every weekend and, um, you know, just, it was never, it was never like just to get that high. It was always to get, you know, trashed. And, um, but with that said, I lived a very successful life. Very successful. I went off. I joined the military. I graduated first in my class. Um, I in, that was a broad. I was a broadcast mm-hmm. journalist, yeah. and it was stiff competition too. Made it by like point two five percent, and um, 
I made it to E5 in three and a half years in a closed rate, which means that only a very few percentage of people get promoted. So when you're as young as I was, you know, it depends on how many years you have in, a couple things that you have no control over. Um, And so what I did was I studied really hard and then I made my own Q&A book this thick. I'm holding my fingers about two inches apart. And I would at, I would just hand it to people and say, ask me a potential question that yeah. might be on the test. And I did so well that I made it to E4 my first time trying, which was kind of unheard of. And then I didn't even study for E5 and made it to E5 because I'd retained so much information. So I was always like that overachiever, um, but yet, you know, hiding the secret. And How did that even look like? What did that look like during that time when you're showing up and performing? But what was it like in private? Um, again, it went through variances where it, sometimes it was like feeling hungover or whatever. And then it was, oh, if I can just get through this day, you know, I'll be all right. But as the disease progressed, it got worse and worse. And what ended up happening towards the end, like you asked, like, how do you, how did you know was how this uh, question started out? So if things got a little out of control, like I remember one time here when I was on Action News, I was on the morning show and um, I I remember coming in one morning and Tom Johnston was a meteorologist that morning or those mornings when I when I worked here. And he said, oh, going on a little bender. And I said, yeah. And, you know, it was yeah with like it's fun to party every night and then get up and you know do the morning show (laughs) says no one ever right and then it (laughs) turned into man I gotta take a break so I would I'd take a break yeah and then I'd be back on track well it was after I left news it took me a while to figure this out I don't even think this is in the book because I think I figured this out later um after after I left news because here's what would happen. I would, the morning, you know, we do the morning show and then you'd have to have one package for the noon. And then I'd beat feet home and I'd get a buzz going and I'd take a nap. And then I would be up, you know, like normal people mm-hmm. during the evening. Yeah. And I would drink again. So I would drink twice a day. And then typically go to bed, sleep another four hours, get up at two in the morning. So that's how it was here. So news never stops so you're always doing something Mm -hmm. and um so that kind of kept me in line well when I left that and I went and got two things happened I got a nine to five job so I had all this extra time on my hands and I got a huge pay increase so now I not only had like all this extra time on my hands but all this extra money on my hands too Mm -hmm. and for you know somebody who's living their life right beautiful excellent deserved it I felt like I deserved it I had I had worked really hard for it and um but to and to give that to an alcoholic mm -mm. when I see these rookies come into the NFL and I see them fail as a result I get it I totally understand too much time and too much money in irresponsible hands does not work and so I think that's why everything blew up during that final four years and around what time uh, what year is this so this is two, 2013 mm-hmm. to 2017 and two, 
Yeah. yeah. And so 2017 is when I got sober. So do you believe that I've heard that quote before where they say money, especially just brings out whatever's on the inside. Yeah. Like it won't make you better. It won't make you mm-hmm. work. like whoever you really are. It will put a spotlight on that. Do you absolutely. find that to be true in your life? I absolutely believe that to be true because if you, if you did that to me now, if I could have that kind of income now, yeah. oh, the good I could do for the world. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But, um, yeah, in that situation. Mm. So what is it like, um, you know, what is it like sort of living that double life? And I think that people, even if you're not an alcoholic or addicted to anything, I feel like some of us can play that game too with Mm -hmm. who we present to the world and who we really are. Uh, So what were you feeling on the inside? So feeling like a fraud, really, because... And up to that point, I'd been pretty honest about everything. Like, people knew I partied, you know, no big deal. Um, But as the disease started to progress, because it had so much gasoline being fed to it, um, I started to realize that I was having to be less than honest and then eventually lying about what uh, I was doing, um, what was going on. I had, for example, let me walk you through a typical weekend. So prior to leaving the news industry, my weekend almost always had a uh, fundraiser involved where they either wanted me to just show up. Um, you know, you know, from being in the industry, like mm-hmm. if you if you just show up, people feel like that brings the value of yes. their of their uh fundraiser up and but I would volunteer to do more than that I'm like what else can I do do you want me to MC it do you want me to run a table like I was just a, a giver and um so it typically involved that um now once what now when I left news people still ask because I still had a column in the Times Union mm-hmm. I still had a column in Buzz Magazine um Still had a good social media following, um, but I started uh, making excuses why I couldn't go to those anymore because eventually what happened was I would come home from work on Friday night and I would um, stop by the liquor store attached to the public store and I would buy um, a big bottle of vodka and I would walk over to Publix and buy just enough food to consume, you know, sustain me through the weekend and I would go home and I would close my curtains and I'd do three quick shots to get the initial buzz going and then I would drink pass out drink wake up and drink some more pass out wake up and drink some more pass out and there were many times I didn't know what day it was I was so thankful for the smartphone because it told me what day it was are Um, you talking to people during this time are they hitting you up calling you mm mm-hmm and no one could really tell. Mm-mm. No. Yeah. No. In fact, I remember like vividly times where I knew I was really drunk and I would be in front of people, not just talking to them on the phone, like in front of people. Yeah. And they would say, gosh, I don't remember you ever being, mm-hmm. you know, so um, I, I, it was like, it was like I was a zombie. Like I was walking and talking like a normal person, but I couldn't. And again, that got worse and worse. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the last uh, scenes in the book before I get sober is um, I was dating a guy at the time, 
And the next day I was going through my phone and I'm looking at these pictures and I said, uh, did we go to the Riverside Arts Market yesterday? And he's like, yeah. And I said, oh my gosh. And that was like another boundary that I had crossed. I was like amongst children Mm -hmm. and families and it's one in the afternoon and I am in total blackout mode. And, you know, that was that was one of the defining moments that I was like, well, this can't continue. And on that same uh, day, I ended up doing a video uh, in a blackout. And I'm so grateful mm. to this day that I did it. I was being interviewed one time and somebody asked me, you know, what do you recommend if people want to quit? I said, well, first make a video of yourself. because that's what keeps me from relapsing yes do you still have that video oh yeah it's online oh yeah oh you post it online oh of course I am girl I am wide open this is what I'm saying (laughs) but you have totally owned who you are and you're trying to use it for good yeah some things just aren't black and white I would argue most things are in that gray area right as we try to figure out why we are the way we are or as we try to figure out why me Tracy tried to piece together the whole thing, and it was really hard. You know, she was a promiscuous teen, she says. She was a Christ believer, a Christian, but everything wasn't perfect. Everything wasn't okay. She's thought a lot about this. What happened to her? Did depression cause alcoholism? What caused promiscuity as a teen? Life is just messy sometimes. There is a breaking point, though, and for Tracy... What sparked a break in this cycle was a comment from her mother and the support of a sister. I had been spiraling for a while, and that's where you start out in the book, uh, my spiral. And what I mean by that is that this this got so ugly. So I would wake up in the morning with anxiety and dry heaves, and I would take... Um, Xanax and an antidepressant and then uh, that during the morning I would talk to myself about how you know I'll just go one or two days without drinking because I always feel better when I go a couple of days without drinking so I'll go like one or two days without drinking and after lunch then I'd start bargaining with myself okay well maybe just wine tonight or maybe just one of those minis or okay maybe two or three Mm-hmm. Um, and it would always end up the same. I would get home and I would drink until I blacked out and passed out. And then I would wake up and then I would be wide awake. And so I'd take a Ambien, which by the way, doesn't really put you to sleep. It's like a total waste of time. Um, <laughs> and so I would be in this, you know, moonlight sleep, twilight sleep, whatever they call it and wake up the same way. Well, it just kept getting worse and worse. So a couple of things started happening that were really scaring me. Number one, I started having a burning sensation in my gut. And Mm. I had already been sent for a sonogram. And they were going to send me for an MRI, which means I was on my way to uh, cirrhosis of the liver. And then um, the other thing is, is I couldn't remember things. Like I had short-term memory loss. And I thought I had um, early onset uh, dementia. And then my vision was kind of messed up. Like... If I got an eye exam, it wasn't any different, but I could be 
just in the middle of the day and suddenly like my vision would see kind of go in and out like get blurry and I'm like oh my gosh what is going on because I knew it was my brain not my actual vision um nobody knows your body better than you do and um those words kept going through my mind too so in the middle of all of this um I there were days that I would go to work and the days I could remember were days where I was obsessing all day long, like filling a day with thinking about nothing but alcohol. And then um, there were other days where I couldn't tell you what I had done, like the day before. Like I was still in such a haze from the Ambien and the drinking from the night before that I don't think I really truly woke up until it was like time to go home and then I'd start drinking again. It's just... Can I pause you right here? Because it's amazing to me that the human body can function through all of this. Yeah. You're driving, you're yeah. talking, yeah. you're answering phones, you're doing tasks yeah. under this kind of influence. That's yeah. like beyond me. How is that even possible? Yeah, it is. It is. And uh, so then in the middle of all of this, um, my dad dies. Oh. And so I go home and right before I leave my mom says I don't want you drinking while you're here and I said oh okay and she said because you know I'm having a very difficult time just with you know the fact that your dad died I can't deal with your drinking too and I was like that just came out of nowhere Hmm. I mean I knew my mom found us irritating when we drink and laugh and all of that but I mean if you don't drink and you're around people who drink they're they're irritating you know but she she was serious like this wasn't even she wasn't even playing so I go home, and I don't drink for, like, two days before, and I get super sick. Wow. Remember that. Remember that. I get super sick. I go home, and um, at this time, I decide, okay, I need to – now is the time. I need to – this has to be it. And so my sister gets there. My mom's asleep on the couch. And I sat my sister down, and I told her everything. And um, – so the chapter two is called urination defecation and other mortifying memories and i tell her everything i tell her about pissing the bed i tell her about not making it to the shower at one point um because i had runny stool going down my leg um because i wasn't putting proper nutrition into my body so that's all i had coming out Mm. Um, just all of the horrible things that were happening because my body and my brain were shutting down because that's what happens. You, uh, um, and uh, let me tell you something, when it came to those stories, I second guess if I should put them in until I heard somebody else tell the story. And I realized, no, that has to be in there because there are people that this is happening to, and they don't understand why. And it's because your brain is shutting down. Um, so much that it can't wake your body up. You know, it's tra- you know how when you have to go to the bathroom, yeah. your body automatically wakes up your brain to say, "Hey, we have to go to the bathroom." Yeah. Um, it it couldn't wake my brain up, and um, so as embarrassing as it was, it was necessary to let people know who are going through it. You need to pay attention to this stuff. So I told my sister all of that, and my sister had lost her uh, her son the year before, mm-hmm. and so she flat out told me, and I knew that she was serious, that if um, she lost me as well, that she would not be able to survive it. 
Hmm. It was just going to be too much for her. And I knew that was true. So honestly, I got sober to save her. But then I was totally into it. Man, when I, once, I, once I came out of that fog, which took about a good 30 days, um, mm. man, it was like getting let out of prison. She went for 10 weeks to an addiction program, didn't miss a day, three hours a day, no matter what she went. She found some light, what looked like freedom, and it exposed the ugly disease in a way that would change her forever. What scared me straight was I learned about strokes and heart attacks specifically in women. And do you know why that is? Because alcohol metabolizes slower in our bodies than men's. So on its way out, it does so much more damage to our organs Mm -hmm. than to men's. And and so uh, I heard it over and over again, as if it's just not, you know, a bunch of medical hype being blown up my butt. I heard it over and over again. People would say to me, you know, when I came out public, people would say to me over and over again, oh, I I lost my sister, I lost my mom, I lost my um, aunt to alcoholism. And they were all saying the same age groups, 50 to 55. Hmm. The sweet zone to kill a female alcoholic. So, yeah, and I was about to turn 50. Yeah. So young. Yeah. And I would have definitely died behind closed doors. I don't think the psoriasis would have gotten me first. I think it would have been probably a fall or a heart attack or a, a stroke. And I lived alone. And um, so I could disappear for three days at a time and nobody would, would be the wiser. And um, so, you know, somebody asked me in an interview, what do you think your, um, what do you think your rock bottom would have been? And, you know, DUI? No. I had enough money no to deal. do Uber. <laughs> um I think I would have died behind behind a closed door and people would have been like what happened what just happened <gasps> yeah yeah so once I two things once I got once I was you know free I felt like I had stepped out of prison I was no longer bound mentally by all of those demons just talking and talking and talking all day in my head And the other thing is, like, I had escaped death again. By the way, this is the second time. I was in a car accident when I was 13, a drinking and driving car accident. I saw that. You were the passenger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Doing 120 miles an hour, hit a tree. And the driver passed away? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who was driving? Uh, My girlfriend. She was 17. And you guys were drinking together? Yeah. Where were you guys going? Uh, She thought that her best friend was messing around with her boyfriend and she heard they were at the drive-in so we had gone to the drive-in and drove around through the cars this is really telling my age um (laughs) (laughs) and then we went out we did not see them they ended up being there but um we went out onto this road and the road was pretty pretty straight but when you're doing 120 and you're only 17 and don't know how to drive really well so she was uh hitting the gas she her next stop I think was going to be to his house um, and yeah, she lost control. This is at 13. So you've been exposed to drinking for a couple of years at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really kind of, when you look back, I'm so sad about your friend. She was only 17, but when you look at the whole, your whole life that happening at such a young age and it was related to alcohol, it kind of makes you look like, why did that even ha- why did that even happen you know and it mm-hmm. was alcohol related yeah and i got this anonymous letter remember tracks christian tracks no they were they were these little they were these little paper things that you know 
Christians would knock on doors to pass out that say, you know, and God loves you and read this, you know. Okay. And um, so somebody sent me one of those with a handwritten note that said, God saved you for a reason. And so that stuck with me. And I took that to heart, you know. So that's why I did, you know, when I went into television, I didn't, the the bottom line was if you're going to have me do hard news, I'm not going to work for you. Like, I'm just here to make people smile and that's it. And so you uh, thought, and it, 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 I'm not taking away from that, but you put a lot of maybe, um, you thought maybe this is what you're here for. Yeah. And your identity became and being a phonologist and yeah. promoting good. Yes, everything good. Do you feel like this too now yeah. is a part of why God saved you? Yes. Well, I will tell you this. I remember laying in bed and I was having a conversation with God and I was saying, um, you know, I guess you're done with me. I've pretty much probably done everything that you need me to do because um, I didn't. I didn't want to die, but I didn't want to live either. I really was kind of like stuck in this purgatory um, where I had no motivation anymore. Um, the thought of being Tracy.com was not really fun anymore. Um, there was nothing left that was going to inspire me. And I thought, well, maybe this is it. You know, maybe I have done everything that I need to do. Mm-hmm. And so once, um, once I again came out of the fog... Uh, it was actually my sister who said, uh, well, you should do something with this, too. And yes. I was like, I should. Tracy went on to write Stumbling into Sobriety and the things I learned on the way back up. Tracy found a new purpose. It wasn't over. Alcohol tried to take her out more than once. And now the why was starting to get a bit clearer. Maybe it's because she's bold enough to talk about it. There's power in our stories. You know, as always, I ask my guest, how did you build up the courage or how did you take that first step? The audacity factor, right? I want to know how they did the thing that made them who they are to start that journey, at least. How did you cultivate it? I mean, she was a public person, a bright, fun, cheery person. That was her brand. That's how people knew her. She was celebrated in many ways. And here she is laying out her most personal moments, her spiral, as she calls it. She told me it's not boldness at all. Just doesn't feel that way. It just is, I think, was my next godly mission. So never Mm -hmm. felt courageous. It just felt, I, I literally felt like I wanted to go out and save somebody because this was my, this was the exact thought, the thought process I had. I said to myself, I cannot be the only one out there living the life I just walked away from. I bet I'm passing by a woman every single day who looks completely normal. And and she's not even on camera in front of thousands of people in Jacksonville, Florida. And she's doing that behind closed doors, too. That, I mean, a ha- there has to be. And so, yeah, they pretty much came out of the woodwork after after I started vocalizing it. And so... A couple, couple people been saved. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Living their best life. Oh, how long have you been living your best life? Like, if you really look at your life, mm-hmm. how long have you been living an awakened, present life? Oh, thank you for saying that. Uh, yeah, that was another thing that changed uh, that I talk about in the book. I never understood that, like, learning how to live for, like, right now. Yeah. Um, I would say within the first six months of sobriety, I, I, there were still some 
aha moments, of mm-hmm. course, which I, I would hope there's still more to come. I mean, that, that's what makes life exciting. Um, but yeah, it's been a good year and a half now. You're right in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. And it's not just, you know, I always say that I'm grateful to be an alcoholic. And I mean that sincerely because why would I have gone through the 12 steps without being an alcoholic? Um, I think they should teach those 12 steps in school. Mm-hmm. I think they should go ahead and give up on these crazy testings that they're doing and teach the 12 steps, how to balance a checkbook, mm-hmm. how to do a 401k, and um, how to uh, have healthy relationships. That's all Preach. you need to teach in to school. To get their life. Exactly. <laughs> um, but A year and a half. Yeah. So they have 12-step, based off the 12-step programs for people who suffer from other things. Everything from control issues to um, uh, self-esteem issues, um, you name it. Anything that you suffer from, if you replace the word alcohol in uh, the first step, then you can use the 12 steps to overcome. You just have to find somebody who knows how to do, do the 12 steps. And they have programs like that yeah. in some churches around here. So so what do you want people to learn from your journey of really embracing who you are, seeking help? And not only just that, but you're now out here as an example and as a light to so many people. What do, they, what do you hope they see in you? Inspiration to be them. Uh, one of the greatest books I ever bought, and uh, it was promoted by Oprah, by the way, so you know it has to be good, <laughs> um, was The Four Agreements. And two of them I live by pretty regularly. Um, one, The first one is like basically being honest in everything you do, which that's just sort of how I've always been outside of when I needed to lie about, you know, to keep my lover alcohol near me. Mm -hmm. Um, But the two that have really, uh, that I live by on a regular basis is um, it's never about me. So if you're out there and you're trying to be your authentic self and you're worried about what everybody else is thinking, please don't worry because nobody cares what you're doing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's really not about you. They're really... They are wrapped up in their own mess. Yes. They could care less what you're doing. Even when they're talking about you. They don't care about you. They're They're just just passing time. Yep. They're just passing. Yep. Exactly. Yes. yes. (laughs) I love that. So that was freeing. And then the second agreement... Yeah. The second agreement was... Let me think for a second. Uh, It always comes to me, of course, when I need it. Uh Um, Is that... um, it it ties into the same one. I apologize. I can't think no, of it it's off okay. the top of my head. That's your homework for the day, listeners. Second agreement. I'm going to look that up. Look it up. It's so good. That book is so good. And I always say you don't even need to read. It's super short, and you don't even need to read the whole thing. Just read the four agreements and then live them. <laughs> I love that. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you for having me. You're awesome. <laughs> the four agreements. Be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions and always do your best. Tracy's book, Stumbling into Sobriety, is on Amazon and it's at the public library too here in Jacksonville where you can get it for free. Just Google it, you'll find it. Let's support her on this journey. She's just getting started. And I want to thank you for supporting my own journey. Please rate and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so you know when I'm dropping these. I'm doing it every two weeks now. 
And for this particular episode, I really feel like it can be powerful and helpful for those who may be struggling with alcoholism. Sometimes you just got to hear it from someone else who's been through it, right? So for this episode, grab the SoundCloud link and share it with whoever you think may need it. I appreciate you. Be well, my friends. Until next time.